Let me sing you a song About the people that I love The poets and philosophers The workers and the wanderers Hi, this is Joe Jenks, and you're listening to My Highway Home, celebrating music, art, culture, and community from the driver's seat. This week's episode of My Highway Home is the first of a two-part interview with Sonny Oaks. Over the decades, Sonny has led an amazing life as a teacher, folk DJ, concert producer, community leader, parent, sister, and ally to countless musicians. I was delighted to visit with Sonny recently at her home in the Catskill Mountains in New York. In addition, this episode will feature music by Freebo, David Buskin, Flamin' Peach and the Liberated Waffles, Wes Waddell, Lissa Schneckenberger, Phil Oakes, Scott Ainsley, Sharon Katz, and Tom Paxton. Was it an illusion back when I was young When everyone was living on a promise In unity and dignity, together we were one Believing in the freedom of a dream Once upon a great frontier, not so long ago the hope of man and earth were so connected This beautiful creation here to help us grow Is watching as it slowly slips away On this carousel of madness On a horse to kingdom come I see our dreams just melting in the sun won't you take me back to Eden, to a time when we were one, before the separation had begun? For the ones who have the money, and the many who have not, the great divide grows wider by the moment. Opportunity doesn't mean a lot To the one who has to struggle to get by On this carousel of madness On a horse to kingdom come I see our dream just melting in the sun Won't you take me back to Eden To a time when we were one Before the separation ends
my heart and soul show a dying faith Fighting for a cause that I believe in Tactical delusions lead me not astray For the voices of the healing will survive On this carousel of madness, on a horse the kingdom come I see our dreams just melting in the sun Won't you take me back to Eden To a time when we were one Before the separation had begun Won't you take me back to Eden To a time when we were one Before the separation had begun Hi, this is Joe Jenks, and you're listening to My Highway Home on Folk Music Notebook. I'm here in Middleburg, New York, with Sunny Oaks, and i um, delighted to be hanging out on a beautiful fall day. How are you today, Sunny? I am fine. I am enjoying this weather. It's quite stunning. Uh, we just had some technical difficulties getting going here, and Sunny was, was the, uh, the wise genius that solved the problem for us. That I was, probably the only time in history, so I'm glad we have it recorded. <laughs> Got evidence that Sonny solved a technological problem. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> I usually cause technological problems. Yeah. So um, I was up here in June visiting with you, and we started talking about education and the state of education in this country and what it was like when you were a teacher. And uh, I loved the conversation. Um uh, I'm just curious to ask you, how did you, at what point in your life did you decide to become a teacher? Very late. I had zero interest in being a teacher. I didn't graduate college myself until I was 32. And I went at night, seven and a half years, to Brooklyn College. And uh, circumstances in my life, I ended up needing to have a job. So I took a few ed courses. I took the common branches license and got a uh, sub. I got an elementary school license because I was going to sub. I figured I'd augment my guitar teaching income with substitute teaching, and I can't stand little kids, so <laughs> I. <laughs> I uh, I had an elementary license, but I for subbing you could use it in the older grades. So I ended up subbing in junior high school, did such a good job controlling the kids that I was offered, well, the first year I, uh, they asked me to fill in for a an English teacher who was moved up to be an assistant principal. So I was a permanent sub for most of the year. The second year, they had a teacher who quit after the first month because the kids were so horrible. And she had four eighth grade classes from hell. And I was called into the office by the principal, and I said, no, <laughs> before he even asked. He said, Sonny, you gotta take the program. I said, no, I don't want it. I've heard it's rotten. And he begged me, and he begged me. He said, I could have anything I wanted. And I said, I really needed the job. So I said, okay. And I ended up controlling the kids. And that year I got appointed as a teacher in the junior high school. 
And because it was an English teacher I was covering for, I became an English teacher. I didn't have a license, but in New York, if you're breathing and you have a piece of paper, they, <laughs> they, they hire you and they put you where they need you. So that's how I got into teaching, quite by accident. But I discovered that I loved it and I had a way with the kids. I really liked them. I enjoyed what I was doing. And I ended up teaching there for 15 years. And which school was that? Junior high school, 198 in Edgemere in Queens, Rockaway. Wow. And then when I moved up here, I was told I'd never get a job because I was too high on the pay scale. And I wouldn't be hired because I could get two honeys for the same, two young honeys for the same price. So not to expect a job. But I ended up, I saw a help wanted in Richmondville. And I went over there and it was two halftime positions. One was English and one was social studies. So I went in, I figured I'll I'll apply for both of them and then I'll have a full-time job. And the guy said, no, you can't do that. First of all, you don't have a social studies license. They're very fussy up here. And second of all, they both are afternoon programs. Would you consider half time? And I made a face, I nah. And then he said, Sonny, he said, right now you're subbing at $50 a day. And if they called you every single day, the most you could make would be $9,000 and no benefits. If you work half time, I guarantee it'll be a lot more than nine. I'll look it up and I'll tell you it was 17, plus I'd have benefits. So I said yes. And then I realized I had practically died and gone to heaven because I had to be to work at 12 minutes till noon, and I was out at 10 minutes after three. Holy cow. And I was earning enough money to pay my bills, which were practically non-existent, and I had money left over. And I had benefits. Wow. So I did that for two years with a big smile on my face. And then I get called into the office. Sonny, one of our regular teachers is retiring. We want you to take her program. In other words, they're going to double my salary. I said, no, (laughs) thank you. I'm very. (laughs) I like coming to work at noon. (laughs) I love this. I mean, it couldn't be any better. So he said, Sonny, don't be a fool. We're going to be merging with Cobalt School. And when the merger goes through, all halftime positions are gone. You're out of here. So I was forced to double my salary. Hmm. And I made it through. I made it through another three years. So I ended up with my 20 years that I needed to get my good pension. And that was 20 years combined teaching in New York City and right. teaching up here. I moved here. my city pension yeah. up. Yeah, so that's yeah. my teaching career in a nutshell. Creek was running by the road And the buckeyed sun Shining, I rode my bike down Alum Creek Drive when I was a boy in Ohio. The English teacher, he didn't care, he challenged us. To checkers And once in a while We'd swap a joke When I was a boy in Ohio Once I was caught Playing hooky from school 
They found me home in the evening I confessed I'd been to the movie show When I was a boy in Ohio We would wait for the summer to come Swimming and picking berries But now a freeway covers the field Where I used to be so happy When you were teaching, particularly down in New York City, what were some of the salient political issues that were going on in the world at the time? Well, it was the, I started teaching in 1970. So it was... So you were 1970 to around 1985, 86, down in Queens. Yeah. And the political stuff, I mean, come on, it was the Vietnam War big time, and... uh, Civil rights was still an issue and still is today. 
Um, I really don't know. I was more concerned with what was going on in the classroom. And the funny thing was I had zero training to be a teacher. Hmm. So I did it instinctively. I was so green. I didn't know there was such a thing as a curriculum. <laughs> it's bizarre when you think about it. So yeah. I created my own curriculum, which turned out to be somewhat close to the normal one, but much better. Because what my emphasis was on vocabulary. Because I figured, you know, if you know the words, that puts you in a much better position. You can't do analogies if you don't know what the words mean that you're trying to yeah. solve. Um, you really need to have a good vocabulary, and you can't take the SATs without a good vocabulary. Yeah. So I really prepared those kids well. Yeah, you told me a story uh, once when I was up here visiting about your students insulting each other with you know eight hundred oh, yes, level yes. you know SAT yes, words. Yes, I gave them words like obsequious. <laughs> I, Mrs. O, Mrs. Oaks, John is being obsequious. <laughs> But my favorite was bovine. Man, you look bovine when you're chewing that gum. <laughs> they loved it. You know, they would insult each other on this level. It was great. <laughs> it was really great. What did you learn in school today, dear little child of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little child of mine? I learned that Washington never the lie. I learned that soldiers seldom die. I learned that everybody's free. That's what the teacher said to me. Yes, that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little child of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little child of mine? I learned that policemen are my friends. I learned that justice never ends. I learned that murderers die for their crimes. Even if we make a mistake sometimes. Yes, that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school.
what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. So you mentioned Lord of the Flies is one of the books that you taught from. Were there other books that you would try and introduce as as much as you were able? Why Macbeth? Why Macbeth? First of all, it's one of the shorter plays. Second of all, it's a lot of action. And I just, I love the characters. The characters are fascinating. And I used it, I made them memorize the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow soliloquy. And they they loved it. I mean, it was a way to get people interested in Shakespeare without torturing them, you know, because as I said, it was short and, it, and a lot of things happening. And with my crazy usual luck, I always have crazy good luck. The year that I, uh, this one year that I was doing Macbeth, they uh, did it out at Stratford in Connecticut. So I took two bus loads of kids out to Stratford on a bus. And it was a very strange pr- production of Macbeth that was done with spandex. It was yeah. a, the stage had a, a curtain of spandex that started at a point at the top and spread out across the whole stage. So every time there was a different scene, players would come from behind the spandex. They were all wearing white spandex, the, the performers. Hmm. They, that's all. The, the whole thing was in white. And uh, when we got up to the scene uh, where the Tomorrow and Tomorrow Solo, I looked down the row and I saw all these little mouths <laughs> saying it along. <laughs> with the, uh, they were so proud of themselves. Well, they they all knew it. The whole bunch yeah. of them were, were reciting the soliloquy with the actors you know, quietly and... Not, not not distracting, but I could see the lips moving. They were all saying it. And I thought, oh, isn't that wonderful, you know? And then on the bus on the way home, they're arguing. The, the uh, actor that played uh, Macbeth was too young. You know, he should have been older. They left out Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. They weren't in there. Were, oh, what they a were, loss. I mean, they really... Yeah. But they they were really aware. They really knew. They, they could hold an in- intelligent argument because we had done it so thoroughly in class. That's that, great. That made me feel good. When in the course of human events You find yourself at a crossroads Two roads diverge in a yellow wood And sometimes you get lost in the process We hold these truths to be self-evident we hold them deep in our chests Is what makes us great All the things that we've done Or the thing that we might do next We the people of a more perfect union We who continue to grow that better tomorrow be we tired or huddled or poor we hold these truths to be self-evident we hold them deep in our chests is what makes us great all the things that we've done or the thing that we might do next of human events you seem to lose track of the footsteps 
Two roads diverge in a wood and I I still hope to make all of the difference We hold these truths to be self-evident We hold them deep in our chests Is what makes us great All the things that we've done Or the thing that we might do next We hold these truths to be self-evident We hold them deep in our chests But is what makes us great All the things that we've done Or the thing that we might do next So I have two sisters that teach in Cincinnati uh, and at different times in their careers have taught inner city schools and, and I mean, all within the city, but some really, you know, right in the core of the city. Um, and I hear their stories and I hear, you know, some of the incredibly tragic experiences that these young people go through um, and, um, you know, not to be stereotypical but you know the the gang violence and the 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 you know the sort of tribes that form within the inner city communities and and one against another um and it's so shakespearean it's so you know i i totally get why you know yeah. uh, a show like macbeth a, a play like macbeth would really resonate with kids in the hood. i taught up here the the summer before i went to richmondville i taught in a uh, division for youth uh, incarceration place for kids 14 to 17. I was the summer replacement for their English teacher. And I went to the director. I said, I want a set of Macbeth. And he thought I was nuts. (laughs) I said, I want Macbeth. So he got me a set of Macbeth. And I taught it to these kids, some of whom were like on the third grade reading. I mean, they were they were really messed up kids, and they loved it. They absolutely loved it, and I also made them memorize the soliloquy. But the reason I'm telling you this is at the end of the thing when we've gone through the whole story and they knew it, and we read it together page by page by page. Yeah. And at the end of the play, this one kid who's very, a very quiet kid who sat in the back of the room, never spoke, never spoke to anybody, came up to me afterwards, and he said, that was so wonderful. He said, I always wanted to be an actor. And oh, this was just so great to read this. Thank you. Wow. Wow. You never know. Yeah. 
Listening to My Highway Home with Joe Janks on Folk Music Notebook. This is the first of a two part interview with Sonny Oaks. I've seen some pictures of you standing in front of microphones holding a guitar when you were younger. Did you perform much? I never. I, I took piano lessons when I was in high school, and God help my neighbors who had to listen to me. <laughs> It was awful. I think back, there was a song by Johnny Ray called A Little White Cloud That Cried. And I must have played that, I don't know how many times, over and over, my poor neighbors. Oh, God. And Phil was taking clarinet lessons, and he was such a perfectionist, he'd play the same measure over and over until you want to throw up. And I used to scream, stop already, you know. And my brother Michael was utterly useless on the saxophone. He was really not good. And downstairs, we were in a four apartment complex on the hospital grounds and uh, the people downstairs was the assistant director and his wife and Phil had decided at some point that he was going to take up the drums so my mother mentioned to the woman downstairs she said oh by the way my son's thinking of taking up the drums and the woman downstairs said over my dead body (laughs) (laughs) which is why Phil never took up the drums (laughs) wow Wow, that's great. But anyhow, that was the high school time. And then um, when I turned 30, by this time Phil had made his mark, and everybody kept saying to me, oh, you're Phil's sister, you must be able to play guitar. I said, no. And I got tired of saying no. So at age 30, I bought a guitar, which I still have, 1967 exactly, and that's marked in the guitar, Uh I bought a guitar and a couple of my neighbors bought guitars and we 
between us, different people taught us how to play, and that's mm. when I first learned to play. And the first song we played was Phil's song, Santa Domingo. There were three of us taking lessons, so Santa Domingo has three chords. So what we did was we each took one of the chords, and every time it was time for that chord, that's when you pl you played your chord. You stayed on the one chord. <laughs> So the three of us were able to play this song, and we didn't have to switch chords. But that was my beginning. Like and, a bell choir. Yeah. Like you each have your own note in the bell choir, and so when that note comes up, you ring it. Exactly. And then what happened was, this was funny, uh, after I'd been playing, I got so involved in it, I really yeah. became obsessed. I was a fanatic. And I would sit outside in front of my house every single day on the porch practicing and practicing and practicing. I learned 90% of what I know in the first six months. I mean, I really was doing doing well. One day my phone rings. This is the Hartman Y calling. Uh, we need a guitar teacher to teach a group of teenagers a guitar. I said, well, uh, why are you calling me? I, you know, I, uh, I've never taught anything. I said, you, you must be mistaken. And I said, goodbye. Two weeks later, they call back again. Please, we desperately need a teacher. I said, I can't help you. I'm not a teacher. And I've only been playing six months. Goodbye. <laughs> Third time they call. And finally, I said to them, where did you get my name? <laughs> they said, Gus, the mailman. <laughs> Because he saw you sitting on the front porch all the time. He came by every day. He yeah. saw me on the front porch, and he thought I sounded pretty darn good. And he, he, I guess he ran the gym at the at the Y, so he figured I'd be good for it. So finally I said to them, I've never taught anything. I've been playing for six months. You want me to try it? I'll try it. I taught there for over 10 years. Wow. And that's where I met a lot of my regular guitar students. And uh, that's, that's how I... And then I started giving lessons at home. Oh, I am just a student, sir, and only want to learn. But it's hard to read through the rising smoke from the books that you like to burn. So I'd like to make a promise, and I'd like to make a vow that when I've got something to say, sir, I'm gonna say it now. Oh, you've given me a number, and you've taken off my name. To get around this campus, why you almost need a play. And you're supporting Chiang Kai-shek while I'm supporting Mao. So when I've got something to say, sir, I'm gonna say it now. I wish that you'd make up your mind. I wish that you'd decide that I should live as freely as those who live outside. Cause we also are entitled to the rights to be endowed And when I've got something to say, sir, I'm gonna say it now Well, you'd like to be my father, you'd like to be my dad And give me kisses when I'm good and spank me when I'm bad But since I left my parents, I've forgotten how to bow So when I've got something to say, sir, I'm gonna say it now And things, they might be different if I was here alone But I've got a friend or two who no longer live at home And we'll respect our elders just as long as they allow That when I've got something to say, sir, I'm gonna say it now I've read of other countries where the students take a stand 
They've even helped to overthrow the leaders of the land. Now I wouldn't go so far to say we're also learning how, but when I've got something to say, sir, I'm gonna say it now. So keep right on a talking and tell us what to do. But if nobody listens, my apologies to you. And I know that you were younger ones, cause you sure are older now. And when I've got something to say, sir, I'm gonna say it now. So I'm just a student, sir, and only want to learn. But it's hard to read through the rising smoke from the books that you like to burn. So I'd like to make a promise and I'd like to make a vow that when I've got something to say, sir, I'm gonna say it now. In 1963, I went on the march on Washington. I was involved with our local NAACP. I was a secretary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I was a secretary yet, but later on I became. But they chartered three buses from Far Rockaway to go down to the March on Washington. And at that point, I had two children. And I was all excited about going. I really wanted to go. I felt it was important to go there. And about two weeks before the march started to hear on the radio, there's going to be violence, Klan's going to show up, and blah, 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 and people are going to get hurt, and so on. And I started thinking, oh my gosh, what if something happens to me? I've got two young kids, I better not go. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to scare us off. Heck with that, I'm going. So we had three buses going down, and we got there quite early, so we were up really close to the front. We were close to the steps, and uh, it was like being at a Sunday school picnic. It was so beautiful to see so many people walking together, people of every kind of background, and thinking this is the way it could be. Hmm. So that that was my first main civil rights move. And uh, I also, I, I did a lot of stuff. I, I became, what for the NAACP, I became a checker. And what, what does that mean? What that means is if somebody, people of color go for a an apartment and they feel that they were turned down because of their color, oh, yeah, they yeah, could yeah. go to the you NAACP and yeah. uh, they would check it out for them. So I was a checker. And I'll never forget once, uh, there was this one young couple, they had a five-year-old son and uh, they were both working and they applied for an apartment in a very nice apartment complex in Rockaway. And they were turned down. They were told, well, right now you're fine. You could definitely you know, afford it and everything's good. But if, if your wife was, were to get pregnant again, you would only have one income and you wouldn't be able to afford it. So we have, we're afraid we can't let you have the apartment. So they kind of smelled a rat. And so I was asked if I would be the checker on this. So what it means is that I had to learn their financial stuff. In other words, I had to be able to say that I'm earning the same thing she was earning and that my husband's earning what he was earning and that I have a five-year-old kid. You know, in other words, duplicate it, replicate it, and go and apply for the apartment. So I was all set. I went to the apartment complex. I walked in and I said, uh, I'm interested in a two-bedroom apartment and I'm waiting for them to give me the form to fill out and to whatever. And uh, they said, Come on, we'll show you an apartment. Wow. They didn't ask if I was married. They didn't ask if I, I was a prostitute. They didn't ask anything about me if I was working. 
They didn't give a damn. I had white skin. Hmm. So they were ready to show me the apartment. Wow. Without I was so upset. I was almost in tears when I walked out of there. Hmm. You think that they do this to people. And another one I remember specifically, a woman about my age, single, who was looking for an apartment. And they said, well, we we do have one, but it's under uh, cons- repair right now. We're, we're, recons- we're redoing it. And as soon as it's ready, we'll, we'll let you know. And wow. Of course, wow. that was that was a bunch of malarkey, too. But the other thing that I love of the civil rights, 64, I remember it was 1964, I had my third child, Jonathan. And um, I wanted, at that time, SNCC was very active, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to help raise money for them. So what I did was, I mean, it was my second son. I didn't really need anything from him. I had all the stuff left from the first son. So I sat with my friend at a table one afternoon, and we made out birth announcements. And she was a good artist, so she drew three little heads, a black kid, a white kid, and, a, and a, an oriental kid. And inside we did. I wrote, Here I am, born white and free, in a land of opportunity, I need no clothes, no finery, so won't you contribute to SNCC for me? And signed it, Jonathan. <laughs> and that was what I sent out. That was my birth announcement. So we did raise a nice amount oh, of money. Oh, that's great. I, I sent it to everybody I could think of. That's great. SNCC did amazing work. Oh, yeah. I've really heard. Or in my travels, I've been privileged to talk with a number of people that were involved with SNCC. Yeah. They had a beautiful poster that they sold, which I had up on my... My classroom was full of posters, and I had the SNCC poster up there, beautiful poster of a woman holding a child. It was really outstanding. I had I had Michael Jordan, I, you name it. I had posters all over my room. People, yeah. The kids loved to come to my room because it was so happy. <laughs> army and with Stalin's awful crew Hiroshima Nagasaki and Pearl Harbor too across the sweep of human history there's a truth they never tell there's more horror in obedience than there'd be if we'd rebel So when they speak to you of glory And colors bright and true And using words like good and evil Say it all comes down to you When they offer you a weapon And send you out Chicago to Beijing From 
like Sharon Katz, who is my, one of my heroes. Yeah. Not only did she do such a great job in Africa when she lived there in South Africa with her... Uh, peace train. Peace train. My God, what an, an experience that was. And then she came here, and then a couple of years ago, she went down to the Mexico-California border, 
led a bunch of people across the bridge from California into Mexico singing and met a group on the other side singing. She was invited back the next year. She did it again the following year, and she's going back next year. And this past summer, she was at Old Songs, and we have something called the Phil Oaks Award, which is sponsored by a really lovely couple who live near Albany. And they give a nice, sizable amount of money and a plaque to people who not only talk the talk, but people who walk the walk, who are out there doing things in the community, doing, you know, going on the picket lines, doing things like that. And this year we awarded it to Sharon Katz. Yeah, and I she was there to witness that. It was great. But you have no idea. You probably don't know about the next morning when um, she came out to me. She said, Sonny, she said, that was so wonderful. She said, we're going to Cuba in October. And think how much more I can do for the children there with that money. Now, wow. here's a woman who they, have not, they don't have money. They're not wealthy at all. But she got this cash prize. And what's she going to do with it? She's going to spend it on the children in Cuba because they need it. Yeah, so that's that, Sharon. That's the kind of people I admire. That's the kind of people I want to see get more praise and, and be more recognized. Yeah. Yeah, Sharon is amazing. And uh, for those listeners that uh, that don't know Sharon's work, uh, stay tuned. We'll play one of her songs. Oh, that would be wonderful. Jikalama Weni is my favorite. It's on her first album, Crystal Journey. And that's, I think, the song that the miners sang going to the, walking to the mines. And Miriam McCabe recorded it back in the day. And uh, Sharon came here and did a concert, and I got him somehow into the local high school. And uh, I was subbing that day, and I had an English English classes, and she taught the kids the song to sing it, and she taught them a boot dance. And this is eighth graders, and they actually got up, and the, even the boys, and they got up, and she had them dancing and singing. Mm. It was amazing. She just is magic with people.
people always want to talk with you about Phil and about his music. And of course you loved your brother and still do tremendously. I've lost one of my siblings and very different context, but I, I, I do understand that. But at the same time, um, you have lived an extraordinary life. I have. And That's for you sure. have, you know, you live in this amazing mountainside up here in the Catskills and, um, and you live here alone. Uh, you've been here for a third in this house for 33 years. Yeah. And I've come up here and seen you with an ax in your hand out there <laughs> splitting wood. And, uh, you, you turned 82 this year. Yes. Right? I'm 82 in April. Was it April 12th? Yeah. Yes. And you are still living on this beautiful mountainside and, um, you've been hosting, uh, for folk Alliance international for NERFA for a couple of the other gatherings, you host uh, a Wisdom of the Elders panel. That what, started in 2010. Yeah. What led that conversation into being? Well, I just got a wild idea that, you know, you see interview after interview of all of these famous people, and that's fine, and it's interesting. But I came up with the concept that if you put 
well, I chose the number three because it's, it's manageable. Put three of these people together in a joint interview, and especially if you choose your people wisely, they know each other from, from their careers, and they kind of spark each other. They, they, somebody will talk about something, and then another person will say, oh, yeah, I remember that, and, and add some more to the conversation. So it becomes more of a group dynamic. And <laughs> sometimes you get things you don't expect. I had um, Tom Paxton and Noel Stuckey in the same interview. Nora Guthrie was also in it. But what happened was somewhere along the line it came out, and I didn't know this beforehand, that Tom Paxton and Noel Stuckey were roommates in the village, in Greenwich Village. Oh, wow. But once that came out, it became a hysterical a hysterical interview because they they were really goading each other, and uh, all of the interviews that we've done now that's since 2010 at Northeast Regional Folk Alliance, and I forget what year we started. We've done at least four or five, maybe more, at International Folk Alliance. They're all up on YouTube, so if you type in "Wisdom of the Elders" and then type the name of the person's interview you want to hear. You can watch that interview, and it, it's really worth watching. Well, a lot of them are. They're just very interesting. You get, get some very interesting facts about people. I'm just a typical American boy from a typical American town. I believe in God and Senator Dodd. I keep an old Castro down. And when it came my time to serve, I knew better dead than red. But when I got to my old draft board, this is what I said. Sarge, I'm only 18, I got a ruptured spleen, and I always carry a first. I got eyes like a bat, and my feet are flat, and my asthma's getting worse. Sarge, think of my fear, my sweetheart dear, and my poor old invalid ass. Besides, I ain't no fool, I'm going to school, and I'm working in the defense plant. Dislocated disc and a wrapped up back I'm allergic to flowers and bugs And when the bombshell hits I get epileptic fits And I'm addicted to a thousand drugs I got the weakness woes I can't touch my toes I can hardly reach my knees And if the enemy came close to me I'd probably start to sleep I'm only 18 I got a ruptured spleen And I always carry a purse I've got eyes like a fat, my feet are flat, and my asthma's getting worse. So I think of my career, my sweetheart dear, and my poor old invalid aunt. Besides, I ain't no fool, I'm going to school, and I'm working in the deep end plan. I hate you and lie, I hope he dies, but the thing I'm hoping you'll see is that someone gotta go over there, but that someone isn't me. So I wish you well, Sarge, give them hell, yeah, kill me a thousand or so. And if you ever get a war with that blood and gore, I'll be the first to go. Sarge, I'm only 18, I got a ruptured spleen, and I always carry a purse. I've got eyes like a bat, and my feet are flat, and my asthma's getting worse. 
stars to think of my career, my sweetheart dear, and my poor old invalid hand. Besides, I ain't no fool. I'm going to school and I'm working on the defense plan. Thank you so much for joining us on My Highway Home. You've been listening to an interview with Sunny Oaks, uh, recorded live in her cabin on a hillside in the Catskill Mountains near Middleburg, New York. Sunny, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for having me, Joe. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to My Highway Home with Joe Jenks, celebrating music, art, culture, and community from the driver's seat. This week's episode was the first of a two-part interview with Sunny Oaks. Songs featured in this episode were Before the Separation by Freebo, Boy in Ohio, written by Phil Oaks and recorded by David Buskin, What Did You Learn in School Today by Flamin' Peach and the Liberated Waffles, These Truths by Wes Waddell, The Eleventh Labor of Hercules by Lissa Schneckenberger, I'm Gonna Say It Now, by Phil Oaks, Don't Obey by Scott Ainsley, Jaquela Maweni by Sharon Katz and the Peace Train, and Draft Dodger Rag, written by Phil Oaks and recorded by Tom Paxton. My Highway Home is produced and recorded by Joe Jenks. All interviews copyright 2019, Joe Jenks, Turtle Bear Music. Special assistance for this episode provided by Charlie Pilzer, Tonal Park, Tacoma Park, Maryland. Alicia Healy, The Winter Blue Room, Seattle, Washington. And special thanks to Ron Lesko and Folk Music Notebook. <laughs>